0: Welcome to Theatre Talk. I'm Anne McBride, co-host Ed Shopes and I are here the first and third Fridays of the month to tell you all about what's happening
1: in the Mid-Willamette Valley theatre world.
0: Hi, Ed.
1: Hello, Anne, and welcome theatre lovers, actors, tech people, audience, right here on Theatre Talk. Every first and third Friday of the month, we interview interesting guests about great shows that are happening at theaters throughout the Mid-Valley. Who are we talking with today, Anne? We have three guests. I know. On this
0: episode of KMUZ Theater Talk, we're covering a one-night stand at the Elsinore Theater of one of Stephen Sondheim's greatest musicals in our conversation with show director... Stephen Munshaw, and music director John Radosta, and a surprise guest.
1: And after that, we'll talk with co-directors Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt about a new take on an old masterpiece opening soon at Kaiser Homegrown Theater.
0: And in our third interview, we'll get into the tantalizing roles to be cast by director Debbie Neal at open auditions coming up at the Pinnacle Theater.
1: But first, let's check out our KMUZ Theater Talk calendar to see what else is on the boards. And
0: Albany Civic
1: Theater at
0: albanycivic.org has a Something Rotten, a very new musical, runs through April 29th at uh, ACT, directed by Christy Sears. And listen to our interview with Becky Roth, the assistant director for the show, and cast member Marissa Gutierrez, wherever you get your podcasts. That's followed by Love, Loss, and What I Wore on stage at ACT May 12th through 20th. More information on these shows is at albanycivic.org.
1: Brush Creek Playhouse at brushcreekplayhouse.com. Brush Creek has just announced that they were unable to successfully field a cast for their May 12th opening of the youth production Things My Mother Taught Me. However, Brush Creek still has two other offerings for 2023. Auditions for the melodrama A Rustler's Revenge, written by Dee Chappelle and directed by Norm Gouveia, will be held June 4th at 5 p.m. and June 5th at 6 p.m. That show runs July 28th through August 13th. And then Brush Creek season will close with an original adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That show is Ebenezer, A Christmas Carol by Emily and Michael Wood. And it's also directed by Norm Govea. Auditions for This Marvelous Ghost Story will be September 24th at 1 p.m. and September 25th at 6 p.m. The show runs December 1st through 17th.
0: The Elsinore Theatre at elsinoretheater.com. Northwest Broadway Productions and the Salem Orchestra will present Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music in concert at the Elsinore Theater on April 29th. We'll learn more about the show from director Stephen Munshaw and music director John Radosta later in our program. And make sure you go directly to Elsinoretheater.com to buy tickets for the best seats and prices. Third-party ticket sites charge
1: lots more through added fees. Enlightened Theatrics is at enlightenedtheatrics.org. And on stage May 5th through 7th at Enlightened is Could You Hug a Cactus? a musical review based on a collection of whimsical poems by Philip Von Wagener. It follows a group of kids who come together to create a show that's bursting with poems and creativity. And that's followed August 11th through 20th by the musical Xanadu. Yeah, that Xanadu. Based on the Universal Pictures film about a Greek muse who descends from Mount Olympus to help open a roller disco in Venice Beach. Hot fun in the summertime, Ann.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> Gallery Theatre at gallerytheater.org. Next up at Gallery Theatre is 9 to 5, the musical with music and lyrics by Dolly Parton. It runs May 5th through the 28th.
1: Kaiser Homegrown Theatre is at org. May 5th through 21st at Kaiser Homegrown is A Doll's House Part 2 by Lucas Nath, co-directed by Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt. The story is a follow-up to Ibsen's 1879 groundbreaking masterwork, and we'll talk about it with Patricia and Tom later in today's program.
0: Pinnacle Theater at PinnacleTheater.org. On stage at Pinnacle Theater April 21st through May 13th is the Pulitzer Prize winning contemporary drama, Rabbit Hole, by playwright David Lindsay Abair. Check out our interview with director Joe Dodge, assistant director Jennifer Jimshevsky, and actors Heather Toller and David Ballantyne wherever you listen to our KMUZ Theater Talk podcast. And open auditions for The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime will be May 6th at Pinnacle Theater. Check out the auditions page at PinnacleTheater.org for information about the play and the roles being cast. Director Debbie Neal joins us later in today's show with audition advice. Joe Dodge's acting workshop for actors 18 and older, is at Pinnacle Theater's Rehearsal Studio in downtown Salem. To sign up, go to
1: tickets.pinnacletheater.org. The Salem Playhouse at the Salem Playhouse.com also offers acting classes for both kids and adults, and those are held at Kaiser Homegrown Theater. To sign up, go to thesalemplayhouse.com and click the Classes tab.
0: Spotlight Community Theater at SpotlightCT.com. Pygmalion opens May 11th at Spotlight. They need one male actor for an important role. So see their Facebook page at SpotlightCT for info. And also on the webpage, you can see the audiobooks that they have created and are selling. They have done such classics as The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Dracula and Sherlock Holmes: A Study in Scarlet.
1: Struts and Fretz Theater Company at StrutsandFretsTheater dot org. They're back with A Winter's Tale, and it's coming in August. Go to Stress and Fret's Facebook page and their website for information about how to submit yourself for acting and also crew positions in this exciting production. And also on the Facebook page and the website is a link to a fascinating guide all about A Winter's Tale.
0: Theater 33 at Willamette University, and they can be reached at theater33.org. The 10th season of their new play summer festival of workshop plays and pop ups starts June 8th with Solastalgia by playwright Joey Ono, directed by Elizabeth Hellman. That's followed July 13th through the 16th by Working for Crumbs by Kate Danley directed by Susan Coramel and wraps up August 10th through 13th with The Names by Paul Lewis, directed by Rod Sabalas. The festival also includes three outdoor pop-up performances of new plays on the Willamette University campus.
1: On the college front, Western Oregon University's final show of the academic year is The Wolves by Sarah DeLapp, It's coming to the Western stage May 31st through June 3rd. For more information, wou.edu slash theater.
0: Willamette University, Noel Coward's comedy classic, Blythe Spirit, is on stage in the Pelton Auditorium at Willamette University through April 29th. Check out our KMUZ Theater Talk interview with director Susan Carmel wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find out about how to get tickets at WUTheater.com.
1: The high schools are winding down their academic year. McKay High School, and they're on Facebook at McKay Thespians, has the Calamityville Terror on stage at McKay starting May 19th and running through the 27th.
0: McNary High School, and they're on Facebook at Ken Collins Theater. They have student-directed one-act plays. They are coming alive at McNary High School May 24th through 26th.
1: At North Salem High School, and they're on Facebook at NSHS Theater. The final show of North Salem season is the fun mystery Clue, and that's coming up May 11th through 20th.
0: South Salem High School, and they are on Facebook at Saxon Drama. South spring play Puffs, or Seven Eventful Years at a Certain School of Magic and Magic, will be on stage at South's Rose Theater May 10th through 18th.
1: And winding up, Sprague High School students are bringing Disney's Frozen Junior to the stage through April 23rd. For more information on that show, go to the Sprague High School website.
0: That wraps up this week's Theater Talk calendar. Stay with us for today's first guest. We'll be right back.
1: We're here with today's first guests on Theater Talk. Stephen Munshaw is the show director and John Rodosta is the music director of A Little Night Music, appearing in concert at the Elsinore Theater Saturday, April 29th. Uh, in a one night stand, along with uh, the backing of the Salem's Orchestra. And we've got a special treat. There's an actor from the show joining us with today's interview, Ann Peck McBride. Welcome to Theater Talk, you guys.
2: Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. <laughs>
1: So, Anne, uh, we've been kind of keeping a low profile uh, on your being involved in the show until today. Tell us a little bit, just from your perspective, about uh, how things are going with the show.
0: Well, it's just the most complicated music that ever lived. It's Sondheim, Sondheim, (laughs) Sondheim, Sondheim. (laughs) all the way. And yet, uh, they have gathered people who actually can sing it uh, other than me <laughs> and to hear them sing is just amazing they they're spectacular they have wonderful voices and i can only imagine when there's a full orchestra when we're we're doing musicals we we actually never get a full orchestra pretty much it's tape or three people going away at the piano and synthesizer, you know, uh, it's it's wonderful to have a, a full orchestra.
1: Stephen Munshaw, you're directing this masterpiece, and it really is a masterpiece. It's one of Stephen Sondheim's greatest shows. How was it for you to find Salem's best singers to appear on stage for this one night extravaganza?
3: You know, Salem's got some incredible talent around here. The challenge is that everybody wants to make sure that their show is really, really strong. And so a lot of the strong people are booked out six months in advance because they're already in other shows, you know? So if you're not on top of these things, it can be a bit of a challenge, but we have managed to put together an amazing show. Um, of course, this is not one of his most well-known works for Stephen Soundheim. And so when I saw, um, this work, and and John and I started talking about it, I really didn't know the work that well. So I had to get into a little bit more than what John's experience was already, and and really try to understand the level of quality of the actors and actresses that we were approaching. And so that has been a a definite journey. But I'm so proud of the cast that we've assembled, uh, and the orchestra. And it is going to be spectacular. It's just going to be a treat.
1: Well, John Rodasta, you and I have known one another for the better part of uh, 40 years, I guess. That's right. I happen to know that this show is, I guess, labor of love for you. It's something that you've wanted to do for such a long time. Give us a little capsule of your efforts to bring this show to the stage.
2: Well, I fell in love with the music mostly, and I immediately wanted to become the music director for uh, a Salem production. The show is difficult and complicated, so I was unable to get other theater groups involved until now. So uh, this has been, like you say, a, a long time coming, and I'm so happy that it's here now.
1: You know, when uh, I look at this show and its history, one of the things that I can't help but notice is that uh, so many productions of this show are done by opera companies and not necessarily theater companies. Tell us guys a little bit about this uh, one night performance at the Elsinore theater. Uh, How are you planning to stage it?
3: You know, we really wanted to have a large stage, a large theater to present this in. And John said, there's no other place. We need to do it at the Elsinore. Didn't you, John? (laughs) (laughs) We've got to do it there. And so, you know, I was looking very closely at the parameters of what it takes to do a show at the Elsinore. It can be daunting because it's a large house, 1300 seats, In fact, a lot of the houses in New York City are, you know, 1,300, 1,500 seats, and they do full-out production. So I wanted to make sure that whatever we did, we were able to present it in the best possible way. We had initially talked about putting the musicians in the pit at the Elsinore, but as you know, Ed, the Elsinore does not have a large pit at all. So we talked a little bit further about, well, what would it look like if we did maybe a concert version of something like this. And maybe we weren't confined to the pit, but we could actually occupy the stage. And you get the passion of the project. You don't get the staging, but you get the whole project in its entirety. And uh, it can be very, very powerful. And as we've walked on this journey, uh, that's exactly what we've seen is um, it's very similar to a Les Miserables concert. All of the actors um, have microphones. They're all going to be in full costume, and we've got a few props. We're not props heavy, and we're not set heavy. So we're really focusing on the piece. We're focusing on the music, the lyrics, really honing in on on this wonderful work that Stephen has made. Well, John, Sondheim's music is complicated, to say the least. Every
1: singer who's ever been involved in a Sondheim show at some point uh, ends up Tearing their hair out. Yeah, tearing their hair. (laughs) Right. I'm just speaking from
2: experience. Yeah.
1: So, John, tell us about the challenges that come with bringing Sondheim's music to the stage.
2: Stephen Sondheim has um, many key changes, many tempo changes, unexpected um, harmonies. So, it is a, um, a challenge for the for the vocalists and the musicians. We have 28 musicians. All the parts are covered. And the sound will be amazing.
3: Wow. And what's interesting about this, this show as well, just to leapfrog on, is when Stephen wrote this, he wanted to do a, a work entirely in three, four time in waltz. It's uh, quite unusual to get a, a, a piece like this. The majority of the songs are in a six, eight time or a three, four time or feels like that. And so you get this sense of the waltz throughout the entire piece, which is really quite beautiful, quite interesting. Well, Sondheim
1: based this on an Ingmar Bergman film, uh, Smiles of a Summer Night. It uh, inspired him. Can you give us kind of a little capsule of the plot for those who uh, may not be familiar with it, but would like to know a little bit more of the tantalizing details of this story?
3: There's several love triangles that are presented more relationally uh, how people interact with others in relationships and um and how other people come alongside and the, there's a pull of the heart there's a a struggle in relationship or whatnot and so you see the metamorphosis of relationships which is very very much true today um although it's set in you know late 1800s it is really uh, uh very appropriate for how we deal with relationships today so there's uh, the, a couple of the main characters frederick and uh, is is an older lawyer who's married to Anne, who is a an older teenager uh, in her late teens, which is has its own unique dynamic. And um, he is a little bit frustrated because they haven't really consummated the marriage. And she's kind of freaked out about this whole proposition. And so the story kind of kicks off there. Frederick has a son, his name's Henrik. And um, Henrik is a, a young man who is uh, just open the seminary, coming home, and he's deeply in love with his stepmother who is of course an older teenager and so that's a really interesting dynamic and then you have this wonderful uh lady called madame Armfeldt, who is played by our lovely anne She oversees the story she has a bird's eye view of all of the relationships and of course she's been there and done that specifically with her daughter desiree Desiree um is a an actress who travels around Europe and she's got this wonderful life. And Mrs. Madame Armfeld has decided that her granddaughter needs to stay with her to get some kind of sense of stability in home. And so there's you know that that bit of a, a, a relationship triangle as well. And so the the whole plot revolves around this group of people, and then how they interact with a larger group. We've got five Lieber's leaders, and um, it's a small ensemble.
2: Back in the day, um, if you were a member of the chorus, you weren't paid as much as if you were a named actor in the cast. So he purposely gave the five Lieber's leaders names, even though they're never mentioned once during the production. That was to get them the top pay scale.
0: I can speak from experience. It's it's a white versus pink contract, and you do get paid a lot more. They really need to be paid as much as possible because they have such a difficult job.
1: This show features a really terrific cast. I really would like to know more about who else are playing the parts besides uh, our very talented Anne Peck
3: McBride. <laughs> Sure. So Phoebe Jacobs, um, she's playing the role of Anne. Uh, Alex Fufus, um, he's playing the role of Henrik. Frederick, the older gentleman who who has married the young lady, he's played by Lance Nutman. And Lance has done a lot of work up in gallery theatre. Tracy Weber is just amazing. She's playing the actress Desiree. Ken Hermans is playing the devious Carl Magnus, um, who is quite a misogynist. Uh, And his wife is Jennifer Davies. Now, Jennifer is just just a star all by herself. She's phenomenal. And so you're going to be delighted with what she brings to the stage. Uh, Frederica is uh, the granddaughter. She's played by Olivia Jacobs, which is Phoebe's sister. And um, a a new lady that I I haven't worked with before, her name's Deb Vaughn. And she's playing the role of Petra. And she just belts out uh, the Miller Sun song, which is quite well known. She does a phenomenal job of that. So that's uh, our main ensemble. And then the uh, Libris leaders uh, comprises of Abby Brokamp, uh, Lorenz Bilbo, Emily Matsuda, Scott Ramp, who um, just did a show at Pentacle, is part of that team, as well as Bethany Stats. So that rounds out our uh, 14 cast members.
1: Wow, what a powerhouse cast.
3: I just want to do a shout out for Chris Noel and Rochelle Raffin of the Salem Orchestra. They've been such a joy to work with, and they pulled together an amazing orchestra. So a shout out to those guys as well.
1: This is going to be an amazing uh, evening, folks. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, I would hurry on up to the Elsinore Theater uh, with an re dot com and click on the tickets link for this show. Stephen, you've got some advice for people who are looking for tickets on this for this program as well.
3: I would really recommend you sitting kind of halfway back in the auditorium if you have a chance to buy some tickets just because the orchestra is just so fantastic and you definitely want a good view of the orchestra playing because they're going to be occupying most of the stage. And what about these third-party websites? Make sure that you go to elsinortheatre.com, theatre spelled with an R-E. Anything else will bring up a multitude of third-party vendors and people have called in because they're so upset they get charged sometimes double or triple the amount that they're paying for a ticket if they would have gone to the Elsinore Theater website. So make sure you go there first. But I would strongly make it recommend you starting at the Elsinore Theater. Well, Anne, I can't end this interview
1: without asking you about the number that you get to sing in this show.
0: I have the hardest song in the world to learn. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> It's Everybody's, it's. I mean, it, every
1: everybody knows "Send in the Clowns" and uh an easy they're...
0: song, comparatively speaking. I'm just saying, uh, but it's wonderful. Sondheim has just outdone himself in sly humor and lots of words, but descriptions of her amorous liaisons. It's a wonderful song. It's a, an indicative of of Stephen Sondheim and also of the whole musical in that it's about relationships between men and women.
1: I noticed y- your character, you know, is obviously is uh, an older woman with a perspective on life and love and a rich history of paramours throughout her life. I I, I can't help but notice when you and I have been uh, running your lines that your character spends a lot of time on stage with a champagne glass in her hand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you you pointed out that she's drunk through a lot of the play.
1: <laughs> Why do you think that is?
0: I think this is the reality, and she's kind of over some of the people. She she might as yeah. well get drunk.
3: <laughs> in fact, Anne, didn't you say that you've done this a couple of times? Right, you played various characters
0: in my long life. I I did scenes as Anne. I did scenes as as uh, Charlotte the Countess. I did uh, send in the clowns in many many productions of Side by Side by Sondheim. I never thought I would be old enough to play Madame Armfeld.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's one of the plum roles in this in this production. I mean, oh, it's, it uh... is. All right, folks, this uh, show is one night only, April 29th at the Elsinore Theater, A Little Night Music, Stephen Sondheim's classic, very difficult to sing, but highly rewarding musical. Uh, it's presented by Northwest Broadway Productions and the Salem Orchestra. It features Phoebe Jacobs, Alex Fufas, Lance Nuttman, Tracy Weber, and Ann Peck McBride and company. Go to theelsinortheater.com, get your tickets there, and avoid the third-party ticket sellers for the best prices. Thank you so much, show director Stephen Munshaw, music director John Rodasta, and absolutely thrilling actor <laughs> Anne Peck McBride for joining Thank us you. here on Theater Talk. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Up next, we talk with co-directors Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt about A Doll's House Part 2 coming to Kaiser Homegrown Theater. Stay with us for more KMUZ Theater Talk.
0: We're here with Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt, who are going to tell us about A Doll's House Part 2, which they are co-directing. Uh, it opens May 5th, and it's going through the 21st at Kaiser Homegrown Theater. Welcome to Theater Talk, guys.
1: Thank, you Anne. Thank and you, Anne. What has drawn each of you to this particular show at this time?
4: We love working together. We've done that before, and uh, we've actually co-directed. Uh, when we did the monologues for Verona's Studio, we did three monologues. I I did a Zoom um, direction for the filmed version that Randall Tosh did, uh, did that from Scotland. And then Tom went ahead and directed them on stage at Kaiser Homegrown. So we kind of co-directed at that point. We worked so well together, and we just decided that um, this was a good joint project for us. How do you split it up?
5: We don't really have a planned system. We we're eerily in sync and we see the same things and we look at blocking and we both at the same time realize it works or it doesn't work. Um, uh, Patricia is very, very good at subtext and transitions uh, and she's done the bulk of the blocking, but we watched side by side now and take notes and look at sections of it. And we're really speaking the same language I think to the actors. So it's quite a joy. Uh, I learned something from Patricia every single night. <laughs> wow!
4: And vice versa, definitely vice versa.
5: It really, it's, it's been a great process and it's not an easy script, but we've got four really stellar actors and um, it's been a good, pro- it's a pretty fast timeline uh, for uh, a four person full length drama, but uh, they're doing it.
1: Let's talk about that
5: script, Tom. This is a modern adaptation
1: based on a classic play, A Doll's House, written in the 1800s by a fellow named Ibsen, and it really was a groundbreaking masterwork, and Lucas Nath has written a second part of the story where this show starts after the big door slam at the end of Mm -hmm. Ibsen's original work. Now, tell us a little bit about this show compared to the classic.
5: Much more modern contemporary dialogue. It's an interesting circumstance because it's 15 years later after she left and slammed the door and walked out on her husband and and kids because she just felt like she couldn't breathe. She felt confined in the relationship. And then a- 1879, that was a pretty shocking ending to a play to have the, the wife leaving. Uh, but now it's 15 years later. But the sequel was written 130 years later, 140 years later. So it's the same characters. It's, a, it's 15 years later. It continues the story, but it's not quite as formal in the dialogue t- or the dialogue as, as the original.
0: They must have feelings about Nora, especially her daughter right is that covered? Yes, it is covered what what we've
4: done is we've looked it, and this is such a cleverly written uh, piece and it, it's it's not really a comedy we we haven't played it as a comedy, although there is a lot of comedy in it. but what he's done is he's given us a perspective on all the characters. We've got kind of the daughter's viewpoint. we've got the the nanny the Cross maid's viewpoint and Torvald's viewpoint at the way that we're doing it. There's no real bad guy or good guy in this, but we get to see the effect that Nora's leaving has on the family. And that's why it's not really a comedy. You know, there are the dynamics between um, the mom and the daughter between Torvald and mom. And also uh, the role of the maid Is stupendous in this because she is is equal in stature, and that is very different from in 1879 when she was kind of a lowly servant. But in this one, she certainly is not. She has a strong, strong voice, Um, and it's as strong as the other two. So she's kind of the third member of the family, and she had to step up. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robin Robin is amazing in the role she does. Oh boy, she's
1: so fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, tell us who the actors are in the show and the parts
5: that they're playing. Kathy Willoughby is playing Nora. And Joe Martin is playing Torvald. Uh, Robin Hayek is playing uh, Anne-Marie. And uh, Liz Ming is playing the daughter.
0: Well, anything that involves Robin Hayek has to be great. Oh, she I just she is spectacular. Yeah yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. she is. She is just amazing. Uh, Robin can just take a part. And she integrates it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she's like the Meryl Streep of 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 Salem Theater. You know, she's just phenomenal. She really is. I, and the cast is just great. It's just I'm I'm so privileged to work with these guys. Really.
0: Well, tell me about the rest of the cast because I know Robin, but I don't know the other names.
5: Yeah, Joe's done a couple of shows at Pinnacle. Um, I assistant directed him in uh, Fools. And he may be involved in, in theater outside of town too, but uh, he's a teacher, middle school teacher in town and does theater on the side. And Kathy Willoughby has quite a bit of experience from gallery, isn't that right, Patricia?
4: I think so, yeah. And she's just excellent. She's very strong and really is integrating the role. And Liz Ming is such a sweetheart. She was in Circle Mirror Transformation. She's got this incredible voice and i thought in casting uh usually the the daughter is kind of she's kind of like a a, a wilted flower a mm-hmm. damaged rose or whatever you want to call it for lack of better metaphors but i wanted someone strong and feisty with that could match nora yeah. and liz just has that energy so she's she's playing a 17 year old but she's she's an old soul and in yeah. the lines actually says she's an old soul but She's got that feisty, strong um, attitude, but she's also got the mischief and the and the fun, and and at a time she is just purely seventeen. So she's just a, she's a great mm-hmm. daughter, and she owns her the scenes that she the scene that she does. She she really owns it.
0: Well, all the characters go through s- such changes.
5: There's loose ends in each of their relationships that were just left because she left so suddenly. Mm -hmm. and um mostly uh between Nora and Torvald and I don't want to give away exactly why she comes back but there's just um loose ends they need to work out and so she comes in with quite an agenda and she's a little bit manipulative um I think she comes back and doesn't really plan to see the kids she just wants to get business taken care of and uh be gone again. But boy, there's some intense argument scenes and just stuff that needed to have been said for the last 15 years.
0: Wow. But it's
4: also said in a humorous vein at times, you know. So you get right. you get these, yeah, and, and I won't spoil it for you either, but watch out for some of the language that happens from Robin and also <laughs> from Torvald. And uh yeah, it really adds that humor that that can kind of hits you sideways you're not expecting it but it it, it really develops the play well
1: mm-hmm. well patricia what do you hope an audience will take away from this show when the lights go down
4: i think that they will debate it's going to provoke discussion each person's viewpoint is strong and i'm really hoping that the audience will you know be able to have a conversation afterwards and say now what did you think i mean did and someone might say well Torvald hasn't changed a lot and someone might say well Torvald is a completely different character i was sympathetic to to his cause mm-hmm. you know and so i think i think it's going to provoke that and it's going to provoke some thinking and i think maybe it'll stay with them you know for a while because um you know i think the original dolls house was brilliant but i think i think this modern version is excellent in terms of the audiences that we have today. You know, it's, it's strangely timely, because it's really only 15 years later than the first one. But it's, it it works, it works for for uh, an audience today.
5: Yeah, and there's nothing, I, I love the script, and that there's nothing that says a date or a time period. I mean, it's 15 years later, but they don't say it's still late 1800s. It seems very contemporary. And because of that, I think the audience will have a much more sympathetic view of Nora uh, than they would have then, you know, for walking out and feeling confined and just needing to breathe. We understand that better now than they would have 140 years ago. Well, I think that uh, anytime you
1: sit in a a theater and you're seeing something that is set in, you know, a far off time period, whether it's past or future, you look at it through the lens of your contemporary life, right? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think NASA has done the audience uh, a big favor in writing something that is more contemporary in its language, because we're all going to look through this uh, lens of what we live through today yeah. uh, to try and understand what's going on in uh, each one of the characters.
4: Right. And especially in the issue of a mother leaving her children behind. I mean, that's still yeah. it's that kind of shocking. You know, you you do hear less about that than you do about men leaving their families. That's just the way it always seems to have been. But but Nora mentions that, that men can get away with this. Sure. And that women can't. And yes, it is shocking. And yes, it was hurtful to the family and it was harmful to her, but that she had to do this for whatever reason. And so uh, that'll spark a lot of debate.
5: And I I think the audience will see... Maybe not agree, but they'll see her side of the argument. I mean, you think how bad could it have been that she has to le- that she leaves her children? But she explains it, I think, pretty well. Uh, Torvald, of course, has trouble understanding it, but I think he tries. She felt so confined, she wouldn't have been good for her kids anyway. I mean, she was there was like there was nothing left for her to offer, and she just had to get out.
0: And how many women have to get out? And stay. Yeah. And and horribly damage the children by staying. That's right. That's right. That's really, really.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She left for everybody.
5: And I think the script does a good job of uh, letting you sympathize with that or, you know, empathize with it.
0: That's wonderful.
5: Yeah. There's just great um, two-person scenes in this script. I mean, it's just powerful lines and. Intense silences and it gets pretty fiery at times. And
0: what an actor's dream.
5: It is. It <laughs> really is. It
0: is. And, uh, and, you know, it's all
4: one room with two chairs. And we've got some interesting ideas for staging, but it's all acting. It is an absolute dream for
0: an actor and a huge challenge. And you have actors that you can do
1: it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know with both of you at the helm, Patricia and Tom, uh, this is going to be a great, great show. Uh, what have we uh, not asked you that you wish we had?
5: I would comment on uh, Kaiser Homegrown and and uh, Linda Baker is so generous with her venue and um, her mission is to put theater on stage. And so there's, there's no ego there. It's just, let's put good theater up and, We have Lorianne Schmidt doing tech stuff and Brandon Gitchell is our stage manager and Kirsten Davis is on script to rehearsal. And we just, you know, we're a small group, but it really, it all works. Well, folks, the play
1: is A Doll's House Part Two, written by Lucas Nath and directed by our guests, Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt. Uh, It plays at Kaiser Homegrown Theater. It opens May 5th and closes May 21st, and you can get your tickets at Kaiser Homegrown Theater, with an R-E, .org. Check this show out, folks. It's going to be a real powerhouse, great cast, great directors, solid script. This one is a not-miss opportunity. Thank you very much, Patricia Wiley and Tom Hewitt, for joining us here on Theater Talk. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, Ann. Joining us next is Debbie Neal, who will be casting actors for The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime in open auditions May 6th at Pentacle Theatre. Stand by for more KMUZ Theatre Talk headed your way in just a moment.
0: We're here speaking with Debbie Neal about the upcoming auditions for The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. The audition is May 6th, and the... Production starts in August, August 11th through September 2nd. And Debbie is the director. Hello. Welcome to Theater Talk. Hello. Thank you.
1: Debbie, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime uh, is uh, originally uh, a novel by Mark Haddon. And then it became a really popular Broadway show. It won the 2015 Tony Award for Best Play. Aside from the great history and accolades for this show, why are you attracted to it and why are you bringing the show to the theater now?
6: Well, I read the novel when it first came out and I loved the book. It was such a wonderful story and told in such a, an imaginative way and different way. Um, and then when I discovered that it had been turned into a play, I was amazed because I, it seemed difficult to put what I read in the novel on a stage. But once I read play, I was absolutely captivated by the idea of being able to present this story in a rather out-of-the-box, unconventional way. And when I say that, the whole idea of this play is for the audience to experience the world the way Christopher Boone, the um, main character, does. And his perception of the world is, in fact, quite unconventional. He is brilliant, but he really struggles with social interaction and uh, making sense of the world he lives in. Although he is never labeled in the book or in the play, it is apparent that his behaviors are those of someone with autism and probably um, what we used to term Asperger's. Um, He's a brilliant mathematician, but he finds people very confusing.
1: So he's somewhere on the spectrum and we view his story and we view his world through the lens of theater.
6: Yes. But in addition to that, I, I, I want people to understand that this really is not a story about autism. It's very much a story about love, about honesty, about misunderstanding, and it's kind of a coming-of-age story and discovering what you can do.
1: Yeah, and it it revolves around the very opening scene, which is the mysterious death of a neighbor's dog. Yes. In
6: fact, it is often termed as a um, mystery detective story, which it is. Christopher finds the neighbor's dog dead in the yard. It's obviously been killed with a garden fork. And at first, he is the suspect, partly because Christopher operates in the world differently than many people. And so that is an assumption that others make about him. But he did not do it. And he decides he is going to find the murderer of Wellington, the dog.
0: So it starts off as a murder mystery or or some kind of a mystery but it mutates into something else?
6: Well, it does. Christopher has actually never been off of his own street by himself other than on the school bus. And this challenges him because he, first of all, needs to ask questions of people he considers strangers, even though they're neighbors Uh and others, and he needs to interact with people. So it's, um, it's a challenge for him.
1: I can understand that completely, uh, because if you remember the very first time you had to go someplace as a kid Mm -hmm. where you've never been before and where you don't know anybody, that can be intimidating uh, to anyone. Very much. Let alone someone who is challenged by social interactions within his closed circle of school and family. Mm -hmm. True, true. These days, who really knows their neighbors anyway? That's That's also true. That's also true. <laughs> That's also
6: true. <laughs> I have just found this story so rich and inspirational, and it's funny. At times, um, it's very moving. The ending, I just think, is wonderful. I'm very excited about getting started on this.
1: This is a very personal play about one character, but there are more than one character in this show.
6: Oh my goodness. Yes, there are. There are a number of characters.
1: How many actors are you looking for?
6: I need 10. Five female, five male, and um, varying ages. That's one thing that excites me. This has opportunities for so many different people. There's Christopher, who needs to be someone who can play a 15-year-old mm-hmm And then his father, who he lives with and who is, uh, I would say, middle age, you know, in his Uh 40s, probably. And his father, um, although he appears a little bit um, rough around the edges, is actually very patient and loves his son so much. He'll do anything for him, but he does at times lose patience with his Christian behavior. It's a very challenging role.
0: Are there any allusions to him growing up as an autistic person?
6: Only in his behaviors. Christopher is very determined to do things his way. The other thing about Christopher is that Christopher cannot stand to be touched. And so this creates several moments of distress and um, very high drama and uh, reaction.
0: And we all know, or at least I know, that that's really common for a, an autistic person or a person who has problems dealing with people. They don't want to be touched. Yes. And I, I think all of
6: us, you know, there there's boundaries. Um, uh, yeah. So is are just a bit more extreme than the average person, I suppose?
0: Talk about the other characters. I think I read Voices well, yes,
6: the um, The exciting thing about this from an actor's point of view is that every part in the show, I think, is has its own challenges, and six of the actors play multiple roles. They don't just play one person, they play several. The way they appear in the script, those six, are as voices, voice one, voice two, voice mm-hmm. three, and each of those has probably from two to five or six characters that they play. And those people are a variety of ages. Most of the actors will be on stage for most of the play. The play is presented in a a way, there are many scenes, but one scene just flows into the next. And so the actors oftentimes are facilitating that of location
0: or change of time How do you envision staging this and and what kind of set? The set is actually quite
6: simple. We will have kind of a border on our set that actually will be weight-bearing. In other words, people can sit on it. People can walk on it. It's uh, probably chair height. Everything takes place within that kind of frame.
0: Uh
6: Christopher needs his world to be very ordered, So we will use projections and lights and so forth to
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
6: um, help the audience follow where we are and how much time has passed. The play is not totally linear because there are many scenes that are what we might term a flashback to an earlier time so that we get a better understanding of, you know, what has brought Christopher to this point. And he does go on a journey during this play. He finds out that his mother is living in London. And this is one of the big uh, conflicts in the show is that his father had told Christopher that his mother had died and Christopher discovers that that is not so. So he decides to find his mother and Mm -hmm. he goes on a journey on his own to London.
0: And that would be scary for any
6: kid. Oh, (laughs) yes, very much so. Yeah, That will involve all actors because, of course, we have the train station, we have the train itself, we have another train station, and there are lots of people involved and many things happening. At many moments, it becomes overwhelming.
1: What would you like to tell actors that are thinking about uh, auditioning for this show that would help them prepare for a good audition?
6: First of all, read the script. I think anyone who reads this script will be drawn into all of the possibilities of different ways this could be done and how creative we can be. At the audition, we will do some selected readings from the script. But in addition, we will. I'm asking people to come in comfortable clothes with comfortable shoes because we will do some movement auditions. Parts of the story will require some types of stylized movement, and in many cases, perhaps uh, people moving together or moving away. So there will be some movement auditions. And in addition to that, I plan to do some scenes. Often we refer to these as open scenes, and they're just very short, very simple scenes that the scenario could be many things finding somebody hiding under your front porch or looking for a lost friend, or it could be anything that we decide. So there's an opportunity to show some creativity and some uh, improvisational skills.
0: So the actors need to be able to move and able to improv and have read the script. Uh, Yes,
6: definitely the script.
0: The improv part won't
6: necessarily be part of the show, but it will be a tool we use to get to where we want to be for a particular scene, definitely.
0: Absolutely. I wonder what you're going to get. I hope you're going to get a lot of really good actors who are open to doing a lot of things. Because I think you know that there's an attitude that, oh, you show up and you have sides and you read the sides and that's it and you go home. But this is really different. In many ways it is,
6: but the skills are basic skills. We're just using them maybe in a different way in a standard show. I do need a variety of age groups. There's, you know, Christopher, who's playing a 15 year old. I need um, you know, people in their 20s and 30s. I need people who maybe are in their 40s, older people, 50s and 60s. So um, there's lots of opportunity here.
1: Well, it sounds to me like you're looking for a well-rounded cast, but more important than that, people who are willing to be creative and take some risks on stage in emotional investment and physical movement and in being an active storyteller.
6: Yes, all of these roles are so open to interpretation. All of the actors are going to be involved actively through the whole show. So it will take some stamina also.
0: But we will have fun. Oh, it sounds like fun.
6: My auditions are earlier than I usually would have auditions for a straight show. The reason behind that is I want to spend some time working on some character development as well as accents. This play takes place in England, and so we will be using British accents. Oh. We will have a dialect coach at auditions Some people aren't comfortable reading with the accent. Don't worry about it. The other thing is because this show has a lot of technical demands, I wanted to allow us a little bit of extra time to deal with that.
1: Sounds like a really rewarding experience if I were even remotely thinking about auditioning for this and I'm talking to you guys out there in the audience, the actors out there. Don't delay. Get a copy of the script and check it out, because this is a really interesting show.
6: It really is. And it's going to be a challenge, but a good challenge. And I have some great people around me helping. So I'm, I'm very excited about what we can do with this at our little theater in the woods.
0: Well, you'll have to come back a few weeks into rehearsal and tell us how it's going. I will do that.
1: Thank you, Debbie Neal, for joining us here on Theater Talk. Folks, the play is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. It's coming to Pentacle Theater in August. And auditions are coming up Saturday, May 6th at Pentacle Theater. Uh, that's at 324 52nd Avenue Northwest off Highway 22, about six miles west of downtown Salem. Best thing I can tell the actors out there that are thinking about auditioning for this show is to go for it. Get a copy of the script. You can borrow one from Pentacle Theater for uh, a small fee uh, and uh, return it um, before auditions. So you can get a copy of the script at the downtown ticket office at uh, Liberty and Ferry Street. Debbie is looking for an ensemble of five male presenting and five female presenting actors. There's more information on the auditions page at Pentacle Theater. All the things you need to know about auditions are there, including a link to um, the audition form, which you should fill out in advance. So May 6th is auditions callback on May 7th, if needed. And uh, read-through rehearsals are going to start right away. Uh, This is going to be a fun, fun experience and really beautiful contemporary show that uh, is just begging to be seen. Debbie, thank you very much. For joining yes, us here on you. Theater Talk to tell us about audition.
6: Thank, thank you. you. for
0: having me. It's time to wind up this week's KMUZ Theater Talk program. Thank you for joining us. Next week at 9 a.m. you can tune in to Talking About Art with Joel Zach. KMUZ is a proud member of the Salem Theater
1: Network. KMUZ Theater Talk airs at 9 a.m. the first and third Friday of every month at 100.7 and 88.5 FM and on your favorite radio app or on demand at KMUZ.org. And you can also listen to KMUZ Theater Talk anytime on your laptop, mobile device, smart speaker, or in your car, wherever you get podcasts.
0: Ed and I will be back May 5th with a brand new KMUZ Theater Talk program to fill you in about what's happening in the Mid-Willamette Valley theater world. In the meantime, check out our Theater Talk Facebook page for news and updates about live theater in the Mid-Willamette Valley.
1: And if you haven't yet joined in to support Theater Talk and the rest of KMUZ's great community radio programs, go to KMUZ.org right now and click the Contribute button at the top of the page. And thanks. Until next time, we'll we'll see see you you in the the front front row. row.